0: Death is out of
1: control okay welcome everybody to another edition of drunk Agile against all of our better judgment and by all of our I mean mine um, we invited some 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 scrum folks although I, you know we, I, it's probably unfair to maybe pigeon you just maybe pigeonhole you just as, as scrum folks but um, some 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 good friends of mine people I met through the P- PSD community of course we're talking about Chad and Jeff here chad chad jeff
0: welcome hello
1: um, and then there's pratik there too but we don't you know we don't like to talk about him yeah
2: uh, but but we do have
1: the star of the show who is I she's she hiding ran she ran away yeah hi nisha yeah. she's trust us She is there um first things first most important thing what are we drinking who, who wants to go who, who wants to talk about what they're drinking i'll start
3: go. um i've got a little j henry and sons it's a a local farm just north of me here in Madison. They, they grow all of their own products there. So they grow the corn, the rye, the rye, uh, barley, all the good stuff there. And then um, they distill it there at ages five, five years or more. Everything does. They work in small batches. And um, one of the really cool things about them is they kind of have their own corn blend that they've grown throughout the years. It's a red corn that they use and it. It gives it a unique taste. And then um, because we have these extreme weather conditions here in Wisconsin, um, they age everything in like these open type barn where like wind blows through it and stuff. And so you get like, you know, 100 plus degree temperatures and like negative 30 degree temperatures. So there's a lot of expanding and contracting with the barrel, which gives it another very unique taste. So hmm. yeah, it's a it's an interesting um, area that we can go, you know, tour right, right north of my house here.
1: So that's what hmm. I brought today. So you'll be sending us a bottle in the mail? Is that, is that sure. what you're hearing? It just it just like. Yeah.
2: Yeah it's either that or a field trip it
3: is one of those ones you gotta like walk <laughs> go to the counter and be like hey do you have any of that j henry's and sons and they're like ah no shipments this week sorry you know like it's it's
1: limited so we could do a, a smash and grab job next time particularly yeah. in <laughs> wisconsin that's that's no problem chad you said you all right were...
0: i don't know what the rules are i might be breaking them because i'm not drinking uh, a whiskey but i i do have something local to wisconsin this is third space brewing companies uh midwest pale ale and it's happy place and I'm, i just I'm... think it's a good example of marketing at its best because i i think i drink it because it's called happy place and i think it puts you in a happy place so i mean um I mean, I need, I need but it, it is really I'm good bright hop aromas meet notes of citrus and tropical fruit <laughs> in this supremely balanced hoppy pale ale so there you go
1: right, we need we need to go hire their their marketing team yeah <laughs> um pratik was that an old fashioned I spied?
2: It is an old fashioned. I picked up this. This is something Dan, you might need to come over at some point. Uh, Templeton Rye, that's actually finished in Oloroso uh, sherry casks, so it, it's got a little of the rye spice and a sherry finish. So it goes nicely in an old fashioned. Yeah.
1: Right on. <clears throat> Save the best for last, then. Um, I went with the the Glen Geary I don't know if we've, if we've done the Glen Geary on the um, on Drunk Agile. Okay, I'm not so. sure but this is this is a virgin oak it's um I think Miz, yeah Missouri oak first fill barrels uh 61 percent so um, I know pratique's not a fan but I have to say the more more I drink yeah. this the more the more it grows on me so um mm-hmm. big fan of the the Glen Gary stuff so anyway welcome welcome Chad and Jeff as our guests you get to pick the first topic so. Shoot. Oh cheers, everybody, by the way. Cheers.
2: Cheers. Uh cheers. We started drinking before. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead, hit us. All right. Well, I go
3: ahead, Jeff. Some people like to take easy topics, and I always choose to go the hard way. So I'm gonna pick a hard topic for us today. Um, so global supply chain. And some similarities to it the product development we're all in the product development world we all see what's happening in the global supply chain Chad's building a house right now and he's feeling it hardcore right now um so let's let's dive into it so just for historical sakes maybe I can just keep this up like in case someone listens to this a few years from now they're like what are they even talking about so what's happened is over covid um people have spent less money on restaurants they spent less money on going places and traveling and they've been buying a lot more products. So the demands higher at the same time. Um, some people aren't going aren't working as much as different government subsidy programs. Mm-hmm. And so there's less people doing the work. So there's less capacity, more demand for regular pro- for tangible products that get shipped around the world. And what's happening now is the ports are backing up, there are ships just waiting days, weeks to get unboated. And so they're just sitting there waiting. Um, and so people can't get what they want and, um, orders keep coming in and they keep taking them and, um, so let's start there. There's also, what, what's there's, the also <laughs> there's
0: also a shortage of skill set. If you think about this as analogy to a team, right? Because, um, there, there are literally not enough cr- truck drivers to unload at the ports. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think that's an interesting take on it as well. So here's this. what if we paint this scenario? Uh, there's a a meeting of world leaders and they get together and they stumble upon their YouTube recommendations. They stumble upon this podcast called drunk agile. And they're, you know, they're always talking about just look at aging. Everything's just about aging, start with aging. And, and so they bring you into a room. They bring us into a room and they say, help us solve this problem. Is it aging? Do we just work on the oldest items first at the port? Like, I'm curious what we would tell them.
2: I can, I can give them step one, step one. Pour yourself some whiskey.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you can solve all the world's problems that way. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, so and to repaint that scenario, we're talking about a whole bunch of uh, a, a lot of demand, a lot of supply, <laughs> and some bottlenecks and skill shortages in the middle. That's really what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Dan?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the OK. So the problem, I mean, so can, uh, can, can can we start with looking at aging? Technically, yes, but I think all of us, especially the way that you framed the, the, the problem, all of us already know that aging is probably going to be, uh, you know, a problem anyway. Um, and this is, I think, this is something that we alluded to in the in the podcast with Johanna. I think we we talked about this, but there are, if we were to start with the aging problem, if we were to start with looking at aging, there's really two fundamental ways. To get things to not age did we talk i don't can't remember if we talked about this i don't enough.
2: remember if we did we probably did. Yeah. But, yeah, we uh, should refresh refresh
3: people okay, on yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. people fall into this trap all the time
1: yeah so what's what's to prevent something from aging Pratik, what's what's one of the first best ways to prevent something from
2: aging the best way don't start it so
1: that, that, for, for, first and foremost is, is is don't start it so the the reason ships are in Dan's humble opinion, the reason ships are piling up, you know, outside of, you know, Long Beach, outside of whatever is because, you know, China or whomever is just just sending them out. doesn't doesn't matter what's happening downstream, right? Hey, I got a ship full of stuff. I'm just going to send it. I don't care if it's got to go and it's got to wait, right? Um, That's number one. And then the the, the second one, Chad, is I think the thing that you were alluding to before, um, which is what's the second way to get stuff to not age? Finish it. (laughs) Right. Um, But but then that but Chad, Chad, that's what you're saying. I mean, we don't have people to to unload it to get this 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 stuff delivered. So, I mean, I think by looking at aging, I think we've uncovered, you know, fundamentally the 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 two big problems with the uh, with the supply chain here, which which, by the way, is kind of shows the Achilles heel of a just in time process. Right. Our global supply chain has, has been built on just in time. And I would argue rightfully so. It's just whenever there's a major shock to the system, just in time don't work so good you know, a- anymore when we start uncovering these types of constraints. So anyway, that, I, I don't wanna to talk too but much. I wanted to start
3: I'll, it well, off I'll, I'll push back a little bit. It's not so much that it's just in time. It's that it's not a pull system, right? They don't really pull. Well, I mean, there's nothing mm-hmm. saying like, hey, stop, you can't start anything. We've, we've yeah. got too much sitting here. We have too much in progress. There's nothing that's slowing that down, right? So. Yeah, the yep. order comes in and we pull it. We start working on it, but then we just ship it and it just sits there and waits wherever it is in the queue and whatever yep. queue. Yep, right? fire and forget. Yeah, yeah, fire and forget. And we work in really big batches, right? Yep. Like huge shipping containers coming in. You see these pictures of these just monster mountains full of shipping containers, right? And you take one at a
1: time per semi, so that's a problem. But yeah, exactly. Because I, I think we I think we talked about this uh, this example before. Because in in like in the airline industry. You know, if if an airport gets shut down because of weather, say say O'Hare, Chicago O'Hare gets shut down because of weather. One of the very first things they do is they call out to all the feeder airports and say those flights don't get to take off, right? They right they right and there's a ground stoppage, uh, you know, until uh, until Chicago opens up again. You're right. So so Jeff, you're right. There's nothing like, as far as I know, there's nothing like that in the in the shipping world. Maybe there is. I don't know. But it's it's not. If there is, it doesn't seem to be working right now.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so this makes me think of another <clears throat> topic that that Jeff and I were talking about yesterday. So, how much control you have over the overall workflow you are a part of? How directly correlated does everyone think that is to predictability metrics? How effective we are? Basically, how how smooth of a workflow we can create? How optimized we can create it? And the example I'm even thinking of, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and there was. There is a company that makes, they make boots and they're all made in the USA completely by hand. And it was, it was this this dying trade, right? That everything was done by machines and it was expensive, right? It was more expensive a few years ago to the competition that did everything through outsource solutions, right? Because it was cheaper then. But now because of a crisis, the costs of that outsourced solution are rising and they're about, equal but the company that's in the us they paid more long term but they have flow now they can still deliver the product because they don't have the they haven't outsourced their control right of what so i'm just curious you know i think about this all the time when i'm working with clients and they choose a a vendor solution or the worst case scenario not just a buy but a buy and, and customize Solution with a vendor, which just sets you down a, a terrible path. So I'm just curious, how important? I think I know the answer, but how important is control in the workflows that we're trying to optimize?
2: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal uh, steal this from Klaus Klaus Leopold. He loves to talk about uh, when you optimize the subsystem, you suboptimize the. The, the, the broader system. And, and that's really what's happening there. It's like, we're optimizing for this little thing and we're, we're pushing it down and hey, look, we're so agile right here. We're, this thing is moving so fast. Meanwhile, the broader system is, is sub-optimized. And I, I don't think it's a it's a one and zero. I think there's a trade-off, but my personal trade-offs would be more towards the broader system than the, the smaller, the subsystem. Yeah. What do you yeah. think,
1: Dan? <laughs> I'm I'm trying to understand what pratik said there. I'm not. Did, I don't. I'm. I'm not even sure he answered the question. Because I, I
0: heard a I heard a systems thinking answer anchored in optimize the whole, not the individual parts. That's how I. That's what I heard. I got it.
1: <sighs> that's not what I heard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I must be drinking the right
1: stuff. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But he's I mean, in the right place. Goes, but that doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you could agree to anything. <laughs> But that, I don't know, I, I, I but I guess maybe I heard the, maybe I heard the question wrong because I, I, you were, I thought you were chatting, you were talking more about the trade-off between effectiveness, efficiency, predictability um, in terms of control. Um, is that? Yeah, I right? mean, I
0: guess, yeah, I mean, I, I think optimizing a workflow is being strategic with how you utilize everything you have, your money, your resources, your skills mm-hmm. you have within your organization. And. I'm trying to bring the the bigger problem we started with global supply chain, right? Back to an analogy for maybe knowledge work teams that we most of us work with. So how do we I guess how, how do you navigate that conversation to help someone see how important if you outsource your strategy or your optimization of your workflow, don't expect to see the amazing results that optimizing a workflow brings, right? You I think control is a key part. And when you choose to work with other entities outside of your core organization, you are making a huge trade-off unless you choose those entities ex- like very carefully, right? right? And I don't know, maybe, maybe we all, we all oh. probably have some examples from our, our experience where we've seen this play out, but what's the, what's the quick fix or what's the way we can help <laughs> yeah. organizations avoid going down that path?
1: Well, and this, I mean, so this, this is, this is why, so critique um, steals from Klaus. I'm going to steal from, from Don Reinertson. This is why I, I love channeling my inner, inner Don Reinertson. And again, if you don't know who Don Reinertson is, then I want you to just, just to hit stop right now. And you're not allowed to listen to our, our podcast <laughs> any, anymore. Um, but um, Don loves to frame this stuff in terms of, of economic frameworks. You know, he always talks about flow in terms of, of an economic framework. And the reason that I love the word economics is um, the, the definition of economics is, you know, um, how do you make uh, how do you make decisions in in the face of, of scarce resources in, in the face of scarcity? That's really what economics is all about. Um, and I think this I think this is what what you're what you're talking about, Chad. Is when we talk about control and we talk about predictability. Probably when we talk about predictability, it was like um, how much variability in cycle time are we willing to accept? And how much are we willing to pay um, or to not pay to have you know a, a wider range of uh, variability in cycle time or a lesser range of variability in cycle time? And I, th- I, think, I think that's what you're saying. And I think what people need to understand is there is that trade-off you know uh, is uh, if you're going to outsource, um, yes, you might be, you might be paying less in terms of you know, immediate costs, you know uh, labor or you know whatever. Um, but you, those those costs are going to show their head somewhere else in terms of, you know, decreased predictability or, um, you know, n- not not a good ab- not a good ability to not, that's how we say agility to recover agility. Uh, to recover from shocks to the system like what you know what we're seeing right now. So I mean, I think I think that I mean that's what I would like to talk about is you, you need to understand you you're whether you know it or not you're making a, an economic trade off here. Uh, do you understand that? Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, a real example, because Jeff mentioned that I'm, I'm going through a house renovation. So we're looking for countertops, right? And they were natural stone countertops. And one supplier I, I worked with in the area had a shipment get damaged. It was, the, it was the standard response. Now, we don't know when the next shipment is coming. It comes from Brazil. It's somewhere stuck on a ship. I went to another countertop place down the road. They had a shipment arriving next week. We went and looked at it. It was a beautiful countertop. We selected it. And I asked them, I was like, you know, the, your competitor down the road, they, they were having like, they were saying they weren't no, didn't know, even know when they were going to get any more countertops. And here's the answer. The, and I think he was maybe one of the owners. He told me, he said, we've had our same suppliers for decades and so we just have our he basically said we have our workflow optimized that's what i heard right he didn't use those words and i was fascinated by it right because it was like of course he has not outsourced he knows his suppliers it's that toyota way of thinking right toyota always wanted to make their suppliers successful so they could be successful optimizing the whole the whole system right so i just it, it makes me think again back to these are the big maybe traditional supply chain manufacturing environments, but it's so relevant in knowledge work too. I think it's just harder in concept to get a, to, to sell decision makers and organizations on, on it, because you can't walk the factory floor or look at the supply, you know, the, the purchase orders and see how messed up things are. It's almost hidden to us because knowledge work is a little bit more. Well, it's hidden. You can't, you Uh can't just walk the factory floor. I don't know thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no ex- exactly. I mean the, the the only cost they see is is usually is usually like wage cost. That's and so they're yes. like they're like, well, mm-hmm. if that's the only thing I see, that's what I'm going to try and try and control, right? Um
0: Yeah.
1: Which again, so if we is...
0: had if we had to counteract that with right, cuz decision making a lot of times is made on cost. Why well, I can see the cost, so when I can see data easily, I make a decision on that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we have, right? I mean, I could look at actionable agile and there's a lot there, but is there a is there a compelling piece of data, empirical evidence, staying on, on something that we could show those decision makers to really convince them not to go down that path of losing control of their workflow. Anybody? Well, I,
3: I guess I, I would understand. say that those aren't the droids you're looking for when you're trying to optimize for clock. <laughs> um, you, what you really want to be optimizing for is time. Like you can never get time back. And so... Uh, I just think that's the answer. So optimize for time, what are we talking about? Cycle time, let's think about little's law. Let's think about our flow and let's talk about making things—you know decisions in small batches and then that, and having that type of thing. Cause like you're saying, as you outsource this out you're doing bigger batch planning and you're unable to respond to smaller changes that are happening around you. You know, because you need to prove the value of whatever is happening and justify the cost of it. Now you put things in a very, very big batches that you're working on which you know also the slows the delivery of the, the things that are probably really have really high margins. So I think this is a whole cascading effect of you know, some fallacies that we might have um, on what we think is really valuable, but, but isn't.
2: Yeah, and, and to pull this all the way back to aging, what, what we were talking Jeez. about earlier. <laughs> um, Here we go. Yeah, we're, we're gonna go down the aging <laughs> path. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, aging is the leading indicator. I mean, before you get to cycle time, aging is the leading indicator to say, hey, we made this decision and all of a sudden, looks like things are taking longer. Um, It won't tell you immediately based on "Hey, future risk, and this is what will happen. But as soon as it starts showing up, you have an earlier opportunity to change decisions. And Jeff, to your point, if you make small batch decisions, they're easier to change rather mm-hmm. than big patch decisions where we're taking this huge big bet and now people's careers are on the line of, hey, you made this big bet, you're gonna make it work as opposed to let's make these small bets. And then if aging changes, we can revert it and we can go, it's that uh, whole thing of, you know if you've got a continuous delivery pipeline and you've shipped only two lines of code, it's easier to revert rather than if you had you know, three modules of code that you that you shipped and then it was much, much harder to revert.
1: Yeah, this, I'm, I'm gonna throw the, the gauntlet down to the, the Agile community because honestly, this is something that I've been expecting Agile to quote unquote solve for probably 15 years, 20 years. Um, and, and, and that is um, the, uh, the financials of it right the, the the financial side of agile the the cost side of agile the accounting side of agile whatever whatever you whatever you want to call it um because you know so many so many times we you know how much Pratik and i hate to talk about people but in agile that's what all it seems we all we talk about is people who cares about people right um right nobody's yeah, nobody's giving dogs. me an amen
2: dogs. 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 dogs that's
1: all we care about is I'll just is wait to see dogs. where you're going so, here Dan we're gonna yeah. <laughs> who cares well, that's right. Jeff, Jeff, I think it was your, your, your name of your company is what? Humane Consulting. Humane, <laughs> consulting, right?
0: <laughs> Humane consulting. Right. So
1: my point is, I think this is, this is, this is an area that's, you know, ripe with opportunity, you know, and I, I just don't know why this has never really been taken seriously, you know, in, in the agile community. Um, like I said, for, for, I, to me, um, maybe, maybe I've said this a thousand times. So I'll let you say something particular in a second. Maybe, I don't know if I've said this on drunk agile or not, but, uh, for me, 80% of corporate dysfunction comes down to its accounting practices and pretty much hundred percent of its accounting practices come down to how it's taxed, you know? So, um, but, but agile needs to play nicely in that world. And I don't think it does, you know, and it's in its, in its current form. Uh, and I think there's a solution out there. I'm not saying I have the solution, but I think there's a solution there.
2: At the the end of the day, an organization, a company's objective and its key result is how do we make the most amount of money? Now, Agile knows that you make the most amount of money by treating your people right and letting them be awesome. But when it comes to decision time, people will revert to what makes us the most amount of money, not uh, what makes our people awesome. So that to to double down on dan's point it's how do we reframe that conversation around profitability and money with how how does creating a system that helps people do their best work lead to it i know one thing jeff
0: and i always highlight when we're working with decision makers is the cost of an iteration, right? Whether whether you're using sprints and scrum or whether you're just, you know, you're you're time boxing anything, or just even if you're not you're you're single piece flow and you just want to add it up by a month, what does it cost for that team on the payroll? Right? That's a starting point. You're gonna have licensing costs, you're gonna have all the other stuff that you have to pay. You can have a slushy budget fund for that and figure that out. But labor of your teams. If you, I mean, if you're not forming stable, cross-functional teams, then we've got to go all the way back to the beginning, right? Because it's like, if we're doing some resource allocation game, there's just anti-pattern everywhere. So start by stopping doing that and form a stable team. But when you have a stable team formed the budgeting conversation, it's so simple. You add up how much money goes out the door every cycle, right? This is how much we paid in the last month for that team. Okay. What did they deliver? Oh, they only release four times a year. Okay, so it's literally like like every quarter you go out, go out in the parking lot and you pour the money into a barrel and light the match. <laughs> and then you get nothing for that in most, not most, but a lot of organizations, you get very little for that payroll cost. Now I care deeply about people in, inside of organizations, right? But I also understand as a business owner that the goal of the, the existence of an organization isn't to employ people. It's to further whatever the cause or mission is. So there is an agreement between employer and employee, and when that ROI is really, really bad, then something has to change, right? And so I, I, I think, you know, aging isn't I, I like aging in that when I'm trying to convince a, a a client not to outsource a solution and give up that control, I try to tell them, how long do you need to give a vendor before you realize they can't deliver right i think you give them two months a quarter is generous and if they haven't delivered anything in that time frame get them out of there write your contracts in a way that you can easily move on and you test the waters just like silicon valley test products you test which vendors are actually agile or the ones that just have good sales teams that say agile is a buzzword yeah we're agile so anyway, sorry, I'm getting off on a, a little oh. rant here, but I, I I think it is so important to try to help those decision makers see the long-term uh, decision to make, not the short-term because the short-term is always, I see the cost of this and I just make a cost decision, not yeah. a value decision.
3: And I'll, and I'll go back to Dan's point of the accounting practices and it's because we have projects because we have projects, we look at work as cost center. It costs the organization as much to do this feature, to do this thing. But if we flip it and we to a product mindset, and now you're a profit center and you have everything you need to deliver value to the organization, it's a different conversation, very similar to what Chad just said, where we're looking at run rate for the team, we're looking at the profit margins that they're making and like we're balancing things and saying, do we scale? Do we add more people? Do we not? Do we send more money in marketing? What are we doing here, you know? Yeah. And it's just a different way of looking at it than what I think a
1: lot of organizations are doing today. Or it's it's, it's a, a, yes and it's even worse than that because uh, to Jeff's point, or sorry, Jeff, to Chad's point, if I can outsource all this stuff, maybe I can, I can capitalize that cost immediately and appreciate it immediately rather than making it an operational cost by hiring Chad as an employee. And now, yeah. you know, now maybe maybe I reap that tax benefit, maybe I don't, whatever, and that's that's where they're yeah but but they're they're you're right these are not the droids you are, you were looking for Jeff I, I think and, you're and exactly that's right. so
0: I mean that, that rings so true to me too because when I was in project management, right we were capitalizing the labor on these multi-million dollar projects and it was just it's like that was more important than the value going out the door. Let's mm-hmm. make sure we account for it and save it somehow in the capitalization of the labor. And it was just so backwards, so backwards because years would go by where uh, projects were in requirements analysis for years, multiple years of requirements analysis. Right. Meanwhile, me as a little boat rocker change agent, I was spinning up Scrum teams in stealth mode and trying to to trick everybody, um, taking demos to to steering committee meetings and things like that.
1: I swear to God, I didn't put that software into production. I swear to God, that wasn't me.
2: (laughs) <laughs> My favorite part about all that, all, all that accounting it sometimes was it's it's how accurate it was. It was down to the cent. Mm-hmm. This is how much money we spent on this. Yeah. As a and we had no idea what value we got out of it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Value. It's because it's so hard to quantify, right? And, and it's like what is the quote? There's some leadership quote out there, like. I don't know. Just because it's easy to measure doesn't mean you should or something. I can't remember where it comes from. But it's it's so true even in just decision-making process. We always fall I think human beings are just we're we're prone to making decisions with the easy stuff, the low-hanging fruit in front of us because there's there's no uncertainty there, right? And I think good decision-makers make decisions like head on into uncertainty. They know they don't have all the information, but they make a decision anyway. Off of the, the conceptual hunch, I guess, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, along with those lines, I'm a fundamental believer that anybody who's ever in a management position needs to have either, well, probably both. I was gonna say either, but probably both, um, started a company with your own money. Um, but I think more importantly, made a payroll with, with, with your own money you know, and then I think these kinds of conversations become much, much more interesting, right? If, yep. it's, if it's just numbers on a spreadsheet somewhere, you know, who, who, who really cares? But I think I think most of us in this room have done that. And I think that's why I think we bring the perspective to this, um, you know, that, that we do. So
0: Here, Here's to you, Dan, because <laughs> when I met you in a bar in Tampa, it sounds kind of like a crazy story but wait, crazy. wait, wait, we can edit wait, that right wait. we can hold on it wasn't it's not that crazy but when i met you in a bar in tampa right at a scrum.org event um i believe it was one of your first scrum.org events maybe um, it was
1: time. actually i think my very first one it was the very yeah. first one yeah
0: yeah so you convinced me to quit my job and start my company right i mean you were one of many i don't want to give you all the credit but but you get some credit right you you uh you 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 made me walk the plank and you sort of nudged me off like you were sort of like what are you waiting for why wouldn't you quit your job right and so anyway maybe you did that very recklessly but i i thank you for that because it was it was a very good decision
1: well, I'm, I'm I'm glad you got a good result, right? And so that, cause, cause, yeah, maybe maybe I get a I, maybe I get to share the the um, the accolades, but um, maybe I, I probably would have absorbed all the blame if it had not gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. not gone.
2: It's called resulting. Yeah, resulting. This one on, worked resultant.
0: out well for you. There's probably like right. 25 other people in your life that you told to do the same thing, and it's they're, not they're going
1: right outside so my well, front door know. right now. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Like, throwing throw stuff. Yeah. I, I do want to bring this back to a bunch of what we're talking about today is, is, is essentially risk management. It, 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 that, that's that the, and and I'm, I'm totally stealing from Dan here, um, is essentially risk management. And, and that's the thing that Agile doesn't, and again stealing from Dan, Agile, Agile doesn't ex- explicitly talk about, but that's what it's all about. How do we manage risk? Because all these decisions have risk in them and how do we effectively manage it? That's, that's really what we're talking about. Right, and that,
1: that, if I can give a shout out to Scrum, to me that's where the Scrum framework shines is, you know, we, we can nitpick about different parts of the Scrum guide that we like or we don't like, but really it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's designed to be a framework to manage risk, right? You know, wh- whether you like the events, whether you like the roles, whether you like the accountabilities, wh- wh- I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really care, but think about, it, think about it from a flow risk management, you know, perspective. And that's really what it's out there. You know, yes, is everything always applicable in 100% of context? Probably not, you know, but but that's that. Uh, it's that's why it's a framework, right? That anyway, so that's.
0: Yeah. Jeff, do you know what I'm thinking right now as far as mindset we always talk about?
1: I know,
3: tell shift, me more. The,
0: the shift that yeah. we're, always yeah. So yeah, we're the,
3: always. yeah, we're always talking about people moving from an analysis mindset to a feedback mindset. Like when they're making a switch into agile, a lot of people like do agile name only, right? They don't actually switch that, they just still do the analysis phase and design and etc. And I think you're right, that is about risk management. And I don't know, you get me thinking more and more. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's like we want people to be able to make decisions based with 70% of the information or 60% of the information, not 90 or 95. Because that last little bit is really, really expensive. And so and it's not such a big deal if we're working in small batches and doing what we what we talk about all the time and things aren't aging very long and we're learning really fast. Like we're going to exponentially um, be able to make better decisions more frequently. And I think that's why a lot of leaders get, supposedly why they get paid more money is they're better at making decisions. They have better judgment. That's that's what they're supposed to have. But I think the way we work as agilists, we mitigate the risk by the way we work, not by so much the decision-making. I don't know, what are your yeah. thoughts?
2: Well, and, and this is kind of back to our Ditka talk, it's like in the return on investment equation, you're never really going to be sure about the return, but you can always control the investment. Mm-hmm. So you keep the investment small, you can adjust very easily.
1: You know, I, I love that mindset. I know everybody hates sports analogies when we talk about Agile, but, but I was actually, you know, reading, um, reading an article today um, about um, uh, the, the Lakers' l- latest win, uh, their, their win last night. But there's, there's a great quote. I, I wish I had the article handy, but there's a great quote by, by LeBron James. And because we, we talk a lot about professionalism in our, in our industry. And I always, I always talk about professionalism as um, showing up every day, thinking that you can get better Right. to me that's the essence of professionalism. That's it. I, you know I don't, I, don't, I don't care about anything else. Do you believe you know when do you, do you Jeff, to your point do you come to come to work with a mindset that I think I can get better today um, And there, there was a great quote from from you know LeBron James he was talking about that he's like I don't care what our I don't care what our record is right now. It's like as a team are we showing up every day thinking that we can get better and are we trusting that process that we think that we can we, we can get better that's 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 all I care about. And you know, uh, say, say what you will about Le- i'm not saying i'm a Le- lebron james fan or whatever but that's if you know ask any professional in any sport that's you know if, if the michael um the michael jordan last dance i mean he talks about that too serena williams when you when you ever see anything from her they're always talking about i'm i want to show up and i because i believe i can get better
0: so. yeah i mean i think that directly correlates to what we just talked about with the the analysis mindset versus feedback mindset i think people yep. who take that mindset of continuous improvement and really stress the word continuous right <laughs> um this is why i always i'm gonna go on a side rant here but this is why i always nitpick at like the, the phrase agile adoption or agile transformation because it implies that there's some project that ends and you're like you did it right no you didn't do it the world the world then stops spinning faster every second into the future right so there's it's continuous we never can stop improving and optimizing anyway So I think that feedback mindset is so important for people who take that professionalism seriously though, right? Because if you're stuck in the trap, I guess, I think it is maybe a human brain trap that you can analyze your way into the future. You're, it's not going to work for you, especially in the today's world. Like we are, I mean, sometimes I like to take a step back. We are in the middle of a technological revolution. Like this is the, this is a crazy time period. I mean, just think back to the early 2000s before, not that I wanna give all the credit to the iPhone, but like just before things really took off the internet wise, right? Like video content like we're about to put out here was just so easy to put out. It's just, it's crazy where we're at right now. And if you are still hanging on to an analysis mindset where you think you can analyze your way into the future, you are going to if you're an insurance company, you'll die a slow death because you probably have a lot of money stored everywhere. But if you're a company that's operating on thin margins already, you're going to die a quick death. You need to shift to a feedback mindset. Um, I don't even know who I'm talking to right now, but I'm I'm thinking of all the companies that need, need to hear this message, maybe um, thoughts, thoughts on that. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to see somebody draw an outline of the topics we've covered in this. Oh, yeah. It, it just, feels like we've gone everywhere, but. Just just look at
2: aging, manage
0: risk, we're done.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but but that, that's yeah. why we're drinking, for me, you know, that's that's so, yeah.
3: Um, now, you reminded me, Chad, there a quick of, a, I just want to throw one, one quick thing in there, like, this is just something I live, run my company by. It's like, do the hard thing today so tomorrow is easier but tomorrow never comes because it's always today. So, But if you don't, then you do the easy thing today, then the hard thing comes tomorrow and that will come. So d- when you're thinking about continuous learning, when you're thinking about how you're building your product, when you're thinking about how to slice things thinner, when you're thinking about aging, do that hard thing, like take that stand, work towards that
1: improvement. Like that would be my nudge I would give to all the listeners out there. Um, Pratik, I think we give Jeff the last word there. If that's what I think. I mean, well, well, I thought, I thought like a, Chad had something. Yeah, Chad. Uh... <laughs> Okay, as, as long as it's not pratik. That's as long as it's not Okay, right.
0: here's what we're going to we're going to
1: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're
0: going to we're just going to do something real brief here. And then uh we, we had a nice ending, so if this is absolutely terrible, we'll just timestamp it and cut it out, right? But uh, no, no, wow. no, nope, no, no, you think yeah, we I like how you guys are just like, no, <laughs> we you think um, we
1: Feedback, feedback mindset here, Chad, <laughs> not analysis. Yeah, here we go.
0: Mindset. Here's some feedback. All right, so here's what I'm going to, I have a, just a, a, a snippet of a song that, uh, that I'm going to uh, share. It's appropriate because the name of the parody song is Single Piece Flow. So I think it's appropriate for this podcast. Uh, just give me one second. I just have to switch my audio interface to make sure this sounds. One decent. second, I
2: got.
1: Are you Are you drinking that neat pretty? A neat pretty? Oh no, I you had ice. You had ice. I have ice, I
2: have ice. I had I had this in the old fashioned, but now I'm just on ice. Okay, so you you should still be able to hear me. Yep.
0: Yes. Yep. 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 Can I hear you. And now you should be able to hear a guitar strum. That means I'm ready. So this, I'll just be, the the beer I introduced, uh, I discovered that brewery when my brother-in-law and I went to a, we were actually going to a Weezer concert. A couple of old guys going to a Weezer concert. And uh, we, were, we needed to get a bite to eat, and we were just walking down the street, and we walked into this brewery, and that's how I discovered the third space brewery that I'm uh, drinking the beer tonight. So anyway, this is a, parody song of one of weezer's debut album in 1994 the blue album uh say it ain't so okay you know we all know the song say it ain't so it's like maybe not but that's that's uh say it ain't so oh oh, that song okay but this is my parody version called single piece flow i'll just do the chorus no verses tonight sorry. Here we go. Ready? Chorus. Single piece flow. Your process is out of control. Single piece flow. Change intake from push to pull. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> that's all and, i
1: have and welcome to the new drunk agile theme song for <laughs> forever and ever and ever let's put it on a loop Yeah.
0: expect that one to uh, maybe i'll finish that the lyrics for that one and that'll drop in 2022 we'll see
1: Oh, it's, it's dropping in a week,
2: maybe yeah. <laughs> next week. Cause I think it's dropping next week. So oh, I guess Everyone.
0: shameless plug since I, since I totally stole this stage here at the end. If people are interested in my ridiculously silly agile parody songs, uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, which I don't really have a great handle for, but if you search well, my name, we'll, Chad, we'll, Meyer,
2: we'll, we'll link it. it. It'll It'll be great. In we'll link, the... link it. Yeah. No
1: maybe i don't know if I, if I can if i can if i can look it up if i can be bothered to, to google it this was a Charifier. blast
0: i had so much fun yes, this, was,
1: uh, this was this yeah, was cool. like I said I, world leaders i hope the world leaders were listening i hope they because yeah. uh, we solved we just solved the world hunger just
2: so. did. aging and risk management done yeah <laughs>
1: Special thanks to, to Chad and Jeff for, for being our guests tonight. Thank you so much. You, the invitation is always there uh, wh- whenever you want to come, when you have anything, any hard questions that you don't want answers to, um, just just look us up. So um, for Chad, for Jeff, for Prateek, but most importantly, for the star of the show, Nisha, who has made an appearance there in the background. Hi, Nisha. I haven't, I haven't seen her in forever. I need to come over and see Nisha. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this this special edition of, of Drunk Agile. Uh, keep drinking and we will see you in the next episode. Good night, everybody.